Well, there comes a time in every person's life when they are in a relationship with a significant other, there comes a point where they have to make a decision. Is this relationship, does it have future? Does it have a future? Or are we going anywhere with this relationship? Because if we're going nowhere, then let's just end things. What's the point? A couple years ago, uh, last year actually, if you know anything about me, you know that uh, for the last five years, I was dating a girl named Rachel, and we dated throughout college, and about a year ago, these questions started to be asked of me in terms of Rachel and I. People started to ask, hey, you know, you guys have been dating for a while. You've been out of school for about a year now. What's going on here? What's, what's happening? Are you going to do anything? And... I found myself in a place where I had to ask this question of myself. Do I want to move forward? Is this something that I want? Now, for many of us, life often throws circumstances that we have to ask this question, that we find ourselves in really tough situations that we feel like we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Where do you go when things are hard? Where do you go when you need a little bit of clarity, when you need a little bit of direction. You know, some of these questions look like, what am I going to major in when I go to college? Where am I going to move and live after school? What kind of job am I going to get? Some of these other questions look like that this revolve around this idea of uncertainty. What's my future going to look like? Am I ever going to get married? Am I, how am I going to pay for the unexpected bill that comes in my life. Well, thankfully, Scripture is not silent on answering these questions. And the question that we're going to be addressing this morning is what do you do when you feel like all you need is a word of direction? What do you do when you feel like all you need is a word of direction? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 18. I'm going to read uh, this one more time. It says this. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. And so he decided, and and some translations actually go and use the word resolved, he had resolved to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary as his wife, but he did not have any sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph Named him Jesus. 
Now, for us to fully understand the situation that Joseph finds himself in, we need to understand a little bit more about what engagement looked like in the culture at this time. In our culture right now, engagement has a little bit more of a carefree, less kind of pressure commitment than in the culture at this time. In our culture right now, if you get engaged and you decide that you want to call it off, you just call it off, right? There's some heartbreak, there's some painful conversations that have to happen, but that's about it. Maybe you don't get your deposit back on your venue or on any of the other things that you had already paid for. But in this culture at this time, to call off an engagement was actually much more serious. See, at the time, to be engaged, there's actually a two-stage process. You first became engaged or betrothed. Essentially, what that meant is that you, to the eyes of the people around you, were married already to your spouse. The only nuance to that is that a year later, you'd actually start living together. And that's when the marriage really began. And you would all come together and you'd have a big celebration, a big party of all the families coming together, the people from the town coming together and celebrating. Now for them though, over the course of that year, if, if someone had decided that they wanted to call this wedding off, this marriage off, you actually had to essentially go through the process of a divorce. That it was not as simple as it is in our culture today, so much so that if during this stage of engagement, if one of the two people died for some reason, the other person would actually be considered a widow. And so it was a much more serious, much more weighty meaning and stage of relationship that they were in. And this is the stage that Joseph finds himself in. I mean, can you imagine, let's kind of put it in our today's society, maybe Joseph, Mary, Mary sends Joseph a text, we need to talk right? Joseph probably responds back with, oh, about what? Mary doesn't say anything, just leaves them on read receipts, right? And they just like, he's just waiting. And so they finally go and they sit down and Mary says something like, you know, uh, Joseph, uh, I need to tell you something. And, you know, I I don't want you to freak out. I don't want you to to jump to any conclusions here, but um, I'm pregnant. And the good news is that's the Holy Spirit's kid. <laughs> Can you imagine what is going on in Joseph's head at this moment? He's probably thinking you're an absolute lunatic. Holy Spirit, what do you mean? I saw the way that the blacksmith was looking at you. Like, <laughs> no way. It's not the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph's in a tough place here. He's got to make a decision. And he has a couple different options, none of which are really good. His first option is that he could continue on with the engagement. They could get married, and then he'll be known as the person that is in a kind of weird, scandalous relationship. He could probably go on in that relationship living life, probably with a lot of insecurity, a lot of questions, a lot of doubt in his mind as to whether or not Mary is actually faithful or not. His other options are are similar Um, but he could have divorced her. And there was two ways that he could have divorced her. He could have gone a very public route. He could have acted out in his pain. He could have acted out in his anger, his frustration, as he watched all of the dreams that he ever had for his relationship with Mary go down the drain. He could have acted out in a lot of pain, and he could have made this a very public divorce. 
This public divorce would have essentially meant that Mary would have been stoned to death. Because that's what happened in culture at this time, that if you were caught in adultery, you were stoned. And so Joseph could have done that. But we see in this passage that we find out that Joseph has resolved to divorce her quietly. And what that meant is that only a couple people knew about this. And they would go on with their lives and, and, and try and start somewhere new. But nonetheless, it's painful. It's a painful situation. What about you? When you're in the midst of painful situations, what do you do? What do you do when you need to make a decision that feels overwhelming in nature? What do you do when it feels like it's a life or death situation? Where do you turn? Who is the prevailing voice that's speaking to you? Well, as we look at this passage, what we're going to find is this. Don't be afraid. I'm speaking. God is speaking. He's the one that's giving clarity. He's the one that's giving direction. And one of the first things that we see in this passage about how God is speaking to Joseph is that he's speaking in the midst of his circumstances. You can write that down if you're taking notes. He's speaking in the midst of circumstances. You see, Joseph was trying to act all righteous. And I believe that had he not gotten this dream from the angel, that he would have been acting righteously because he was trying to honor her. He was trying to protect her. Even though he was massively wounded and betrayed, he was trying to do the honorable thing. It's interesting that one commentator uh, said this regarding Joseph's decision to obey the message of God through the angel. It says this, In Joseph, we meet the one who risks becoming disobedient in the eyes of the world, becoming an outcast of family and community, and dare we say, even becoming sinful and suffering for the sake of being obedient to God's call. One word from God can change everything. If we really believe that God is who he says that he is, then we have to believe that he knows everything that's going on in your world. That we have to believe that he's intimately acquainted with every nuance of your life. If he's as good as he says that he is, then he knows the difficulty that you're going through. If he's as talkative as we believe that he is, he's already speaking into your circumstance. He's already speaking, and today the invitation for us is to turn our ears to him, to tune the frequency of our hearts to his voice. I heard a story uh, about a year ago or so that this guy Robbie Dawkins shares, and Robbie uh, actually came here and preached a number of years ago, and he was preaching at a conference. He's a pastor in the Vineyard Movement over in, uh, outside of Chicago, suburb, and he tells this story of him at a conference, and he's teaching, and there is this woman at the conference who is really fired up, and as she leaves, she's praying. She's, she's driving home. She's praying. She's saying, you know, Lord, like, I just want to be used by you. Will you 
use me some way. Like, I'll do anything. Just use me. And so as she's driving, she feels the Lord say, hey, I want you to go to CVS. So she goes to CVS. She parks the car. And then she's like, all right, now what? What do I do? So she's praying, and she feels like she hears the Lord say, I want you to go inside, and I want you to do a handstand. She's like, I'm not going to do that. That's ridiculous. And so she musters up courage. She goes inside, and she feels like she's supposed to do the handstand in front of the cashier. And so she's kind of, you know, perusing the, the, the chocolate aisle and kind of waiting for people to, for there to be as little people in that cash register area as possible. And so when it finally kind of thins out and there's only one or two people left, she runs up and she says, hey, look what I can do. And she does a handstand. And she's holding it. She's holding up upside down. And as she looks upside down at the clerk behind the cash register, she sees him bawling his eyes out. And so naturally she flips back over and she says, what's wrong? Like, what's, what's going on? I don't, I don't understand. Why are you crying? I just did a handstand. And he said, well, right before you came in here, I was praying, God, if you're real, have someone come in here and do a handstand. He's intimately acquainted with your circumstance. He hears your cries. I heard Bill Johnson say something the other day that the prayers that you've prayed five years ago are still being heard. The cries of your heart are still being heard. He's intimately acquainted with everything that's going on in your world, and he's speaking into your circumstances, even this morning. He's speaking. Oftentimes, though, when we think about our circumstances, we seem to get weighed down by all the other voices that are screaming at us, right? I mean, have you ever thought about a situation that you have going on and, and you're trying to decide, what do I do? Do I do this? Do I move to the other side of the world? Or do I stay in this comfortable life in the United States? What do I do? Or maybe it's just a little more basic than that. Do I have Chick-fil-A for lunch? Taco Bell, what do I do? What do I do? You hear this voice in your head, and sometimes the voice that you hear is not that nice to you, right? It's not that pleasant. You tell yourself that you're a loser. You tell yourself that you're not good, that you can't do it, that you can't accomplish what you feel like you're called to. Well, thankfully, God answers this question as well. He speaks, and he speaks, and he calls out your identity, and he speaks calling into you. That's the second observation from this passage, is that he's speaking calling and identity over Joseph. Verse 20 and 21 says this, As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Son of David, we see the angel call out and hearken back to the lineage that Joseph comes from. David, the great king, the brave king who took down the giant, 
the unashamed king who without reservation worshipped. The compassionate king that showed mercy to the crippled Mephibosheth and let him dine at his table all the days of his life. The angels hearkening back to the Davidic covenant that God makes with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where he says that I'm going to establish an everlasting kingdom. I'm going to establish an everlasting throne through one of your children. And so he's hearkening back to this, calling back to Joseph, saying, hey, remember the people that you come from. Remember the great king that you are related to. Joseph, son of David, I have a plan for you. I've got a calling for you. I know what's going on. I've got a plan for you. We see in this passage, we see the angel calling Joseph out of a life of ordinary. Now, yes, his circumstances in this moment are anything but ordinary, but I can imagine that Joseph, as a carpenter, probably only thought that his life would be lived raising kids with Mary and building things as a carpenter. And in this passage, we see that God has a much bigger plan for Joseph than just being a carpenter. We see him speaking identity and calling into Joseph that you are going to be the adoptive father of the Messiah, the one that's going to save his people, the one that's going to reign and rule forever. God does the same thing with us And he's doing the same thing with us this morning. Sometimes in the midst of some of the hardest situations in life, we just need to be reminded of who we really are. If you have kids or have lived, really, you would have seen the movie The Lion King, right? One of the most popular animated films of all time. It also shares one of the most beautiful stories of calling and identity that we've ever seen. If you're familiar with it, right, like Simba, he watches his father die and he runs away because he's feeling overwhelming guilt because a lie was spoken to him that it was his fault that his father died, right? And so he runs away. He grows up out in the savannah by himself until one day Nala comes, speaks the truth to him, and then Rafiki kind of bangs him on the head and helps kind of set his orientation back, right? And then there's there's this scene that changes everything for Simba where he looks down at the water and as he looks at the water, he sees his reflection and it slowly turns to look like his father. And then as he turns his gaze and he looks up at the stars, he sees the stars start to look like like Mufasa, his father, And his father speaks to him and and calls him back to being the king that he really is. And so then we know he goes back, he defeats Scar, he starts, you know, he, he reigns, lives happily ever after. Well, God has the same idea for you this morning. God wants to speak a dream into your heart this morning. Maybe there was a dream that God spoke to you years ago, and it was so ludicrous, it was so out there, that you kind of just brushed it off. Well, God's heart for us this morning is that we would be a people that dream God-sized dreams, that we would be a people that live the calling that's been placed on our lives. 
He has God-sized dreams for our families, our workplaces. He has God-sized dreams to see heaven come in every sector and sphere of society. And that we would be a people not content with the mundane, the average, the ordinary, but that we would be a people that are dreamers, that we would dream to see the dreams of heaven take place on this earth. You may be asking yourself this morning, how do I know that he's even going to speak? How do I know that he's going to speak to me? How do I know that he's going to be the reassuring Heavenly Father? Well, we know this because he came and he spoke. And the greatest act of humility that this planet has ever seen, the God of the universe limited himself. He humbled himself. And he came in the most humble of ways, that he was born a baby in the manger in a smelly, gross cave with animals all around. It wasn't a triumphant entry. It was a humble entry. He came. And in this passage, we see that the angel is telling Joseph that his name is going to mean Emmanuel with us, God with us. What would it look like for you this morning to really believe that he's here? What would it look like for you this morning to really believe that God is with you, that he's present, that he's a present help in times of need? One of my favorite passages is Luke 15, and Jesus is telling the story of a shepherd. The shepherd has a hundred sheep. And one of the sheep runs away, right? Maybe you're familiar with this story. He runs away, and the shepherd leaves the 99 to go and find this one sheep. And when he finds the sheep, he picks him up, he puts him on his back, and it says that he joyfully carries him back home, and then he celebrates with his friends and his neighbors. Do you remember when you were the one? Do you remember when you were the one, when he put a new song in your heart, when he came to you and with a smile on his face, he took your hand and he pulled you out of darkness or he pulled you out of despair? Come on, Pete. Do you remember when you were the one? Maybe you're the one right now. Maybe in areas of your heart you've wandered. And the good news this morning is that he came. Because he came, because he became the incarnate word of God, he's still speaking. He's still speaking and he's still reaching out to you. See, this is the good news. Jesus came and he preached the greatest message of all time. And it's this. He created it all. God created it all. He was living in perfect unity and community with the Trinity, with the Father, Son, and Spirit. But he wanted relationship with people. And so he created the earth. He created the people in it. He created all the animals that you see. And he designed it for, to be good. 
and to be full of loving and healthy relationships. Now, if you look at the world right now, in a lot of instances, that's not, this, that's not the case. We look and we see brokenness. And the Bible has an answer for that. It says that through disobedience to God's law, sin entered the world. And our sin created a divide between us and God. You see, God had a design that we would have good relationship with him, that we'd be friends with him, that we'd have intimacy with him. And not just with him, that we'd have loving relationships with each other, loving relationships with ourselves, that we would view ourselves the way that God views us. And then finally, that we would take care of creation the way that he designed it for. And so the sin, it destroyed all of these relationships. It destroyed all the connections that God had designed for us, all the beauty that God had designed for us. And so God, in his infinite graciousness and mercy, comes. In this passage, we see it being prophesied that he was going to come. He was going to be the Messiah. And so Jesus comes, lives a perfect life, because that's what needed to be, that's what needed to happen in order for sin to be once and for all squashed, to be defeated. And so he comes, lives the perfect life, and then in another remarkable act of humility, is obedient to the Father's plan, even to being crucified on a cross. That's not where the story ends, right? There's more. The good news is that he rose from the grave triumphant, conquering sin and death once and for all, so that we believers, those who put trust in him, can raise to life and walk with him, that we would not perish, but we'd live life everlasting with him. And so there's good news for us this morning. And you know, as I reflect on this passage, one thing stands out to me is Joseph's response. You know, the angel comes to Joseph and gives him this reassuring message, right? This reassuring message that you can take Mary as your wife because it's going to be okay, right? And so then Joseph, the next thing that we see out of Joseph's response is that he just gets up and he does it. There's no murmur of Joseph after the visit of the angel. The scripture says that he goes and he does it. And it's interesting that Joseph didn't doubt, and it stands out to me as this, is this, righteous people steward God's word and believe it as true, regardless of how outlandish it is. Righteous people steward God's word and believe it as true. The reality is that if you say that you're a follower of Christ, that you are a righteous person, that you have right standing with Christ. And so put on this identity this morning that when you hear God speak, you're obedient. You follow him because you are a righteous person. And that's who righteous people are. They trust God when he speaks. You know, many of us have received a promise from God. And in a lot of areas of our lives, it seemed outlandish. It seemed crazy. It seemed 
too far out there. And so we kind of snuffed that dream. We kind of snuffed that calling. Or maybe it's even in playing in the back of your head. Maybe when you go to bed at night, it kind of, you get this little, quick little view of it. But then the lie comes in that you're not good enough or whatnot. Well, this morning, God wants to remind us that he speaks. He's saying to you this morning, don't be afraid. I'm speaking. I'm speaking into your circumstances. I'm speaking calling and identity over you. And I'm speaking to you because I already came and I am the word. I'm the word made flesh. You know, a couple weeks ago, Brian said one of the most beautiful things that I think I've, I've heard him say, and it was remarkably poignant. And he said this, he said, you know, Mary, and thinking of Mary, Mary had the honor of carrying Jesus with her for nine months. That's cool. That's, that's an honor, right? Every one of you have the honor of carrying him everywhere you go for the rest of your lives. And there's no circumstance that's too heavy. There's no situation that's too broken. There's no painful moment that he doesn't want to come and heal. And so you dream a dream with God this morning. What's the dream that God's putting on your heart? What's the dream that he put on your heart 10 years ago? What's he saying about your circumstance? He's talkative. He's really talkative. And he won't turn his back on you. He won't give you the silent treatment. Don't be afraid. I'm speaking. Amen. I'm going to invite Brian up. Brian's going to lead us in our time of response this morning. Amen. So the band come back up. We're going to respond in a couple ways today. And Again, I think the message is clear. Don't be afraid. I'm speaking is what God is saying. For some of you, that may be a challenging statement in itself, just questioning, does God exist? You know, how can I hear him speak? And so our response to this is to listen. And so we're going to have a couple minutes. The band is going to kind of quietly play. And I just invite you to, to ask the Lord to speak to you, just like that girl did with the, the handstand, right? Um, so for some of you, you know, you are a follower of Jesus, and you're maybe in a difficult circumstance. You don't know what to do. Ask God to speak. Listen for what you sense, that voice in your head. That may be connected to a fear. During this Advent season, where we've been, we've been writing fears on one side of these cards and kind of what we sense God is saying to us on the other and hanging them up on this tree. So that's another way that you can respond. And maybe for you it is more of that identity piece of like, a longer-term peace than it is a, a situation right now. Again, ask the Lord about that. If you sense there's a fear you want to let go and a truth that he's speaking to you, come up here, write it down, hang it on that tree, okay? In a few minutes, um, Jenna, maybe you can just invite us to stand or just respond with you when you're going to begin kind of singing. But we've got a couple of minutes just of quiet here for you guys to respond, okay? So just pause in your heart, wherever you're at, just ask the Lord to speak to you. And if you're not even sure if he's there, just challenge him. If you're there, would you please speak to me today? I'll give you a few minutes, and the band's going to call us back together. But during that time, you can also come up for prayer. The prayer ministry team will be up on the sides once we start to sing. Because let's take a few minutes, and let's just ask him to speak. If he's there, he'll do it.